0: Amen. Welcome to uh, our service today. It's good to see so many of you here. I was just counting the numbers and not that the numbers matter. Uh, we have the second greatest attendance in, in our Ch- Gloria Chapel history, so that's pretty exciting today, isn't it? It's good to have friends come. Let's get started. Living Worship. Today's message is entitled, Redeeming Worship. And here we go. We begin, Living Worship, We're all of life... Is about worshiping God. What is it? And why are we not experiencing it? For the introduction today, we'll be looking at actually a, few, a, few more, a few extra verses throughout the introduction before we get to the, the meat of our text. But again, the, the two questions I, I would like you to, to really pose and ask throughout the message is, what is living worship, and why are we not experiencing it? Romans 12, 1 and 2, it tells us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Reading these two verses, we kind of come to the question, well, how do you know the will of God? And I think these two verses gives us some hints. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we see that your life transformed, not conforming to the ways of the world, not wanting to be so much like our neighbor or wanting to be like Jesus, more than driving the right car or going to the right school or, or having the best hair. Surely these things are not worth dying for, much less living for. May your life be lived in such a way that is laid out as a living sacrifice unto God. That is what worship is really about. Receiving Jesus means you have given your life over to Christ. The ownership of your life now belongs to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Scripture tells us that you are purchased, you are bought at a price. That is why Jesus can make such a claim in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Because you have been bought at a price, your lives, your bodies, your thoughts no longer belong to you. So God calls us to live for Him. What Satan once robbed from the Lord with the fall, Christ Jesus has bought you back. One more verse, a few more texts, actually. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, listen here, created in the Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why did God save you? Verse 10, according to Ephesians, it tells us that Adam and Eve were created to do God's good works. But they turned and went into a rebellious direction towards sin and walked away from the design, the purpose of doing good works. And so they began to live for other purposes like perhaps some of you have. Remember that you and I were created to do God's good works, which God prepared us, which He created us to do. And that's what it means to be a Christian. You know, at the the end of the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6, Jesus ends by saying, Your will be done. Jesus, He bought, and He paid the price. You and I were created to do His good works, to do the very will of God. In life, surely we seek after so many things. Do we not? If I were to ask you, what are some of the things that you are saving up for? I'm sure the answers would abound. Right? Your dream car. Your dream hobby. Some object. An article of clothing, perhaps. If you're working, your dream house, wife, husband. Things that we, surely not bad things, but things that we desire for our own lives. And as Scripture tells us, in these few verses alone, that you and I are created to do God's good works. Now, that does not necessarily mean that you have to drive a bad car, right? Nowhere in Scripture does it say, Christians shall drive the worst car in the world. doesn't say that. Christians shall live in the poorest house. doesn't say that. But here, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the very heart of every man and woman that our greatest desire should be centered upon the things that God desires. And that is to do exactly what we have been created to do. A light example would be, you know, I could do a lot with my car keys. Right? I can throw it at someone. I could key my next door neighbor's car. I can use it as a paperweight. And surely many of you have, have used your keys to open boxes. But only used in those ways, you forget the power of those keys. This key, any key or my set of keys, working according to its purpose. When an object is working according to its purpose, it is then that it has power. Used correctly, placed onto the socket of my, my Nissan, those keys can actually take me places. It can give me shelter from the rain. It can take me to loved ones, to different places. Don't you and I, don't we do the same? Using our life for something other Than what it was created for. We often say to the Lord, what do you know? You don't know what's best. I want to live my life for the reason I think I was created, the ways in which I have in mind. Don't we do that? Don't we do that? When many times the Lord is just really pressing upon your heart, even through circumstances, through different circumstances in which direction you are to be headed, you say no. Personal example is that my heart, this is just in all honesty, I'm not one of those people that grew up wanting to be a pastor. No way. Why would you want this job? Why would you want this job? If I were to ask you, I'll give you all of my salary, how many of you guys would want my job? Why not? Scripture says it is a glorious position. It's a high calling. Scripture speaks of it. Why don't you want it? Well, let's look at some of the facts, right? To be a pastor in the Protestant church, you've got to at least have a master's in divinity. My friends used to ask me when I was in seminary, hey, are are you becoming a doctor or something? You've been there quite a while. My friends are getting doctor's degrees, medical doctors, doctors of physical therapy, becoming lawyers in the same amount of time. I'm still working on my master's. And what do I get at the end of my master's degree? I get a little M div. They get names with D's at the end. M-D, D-P-T. That sounds so much better, right? And I used to joke around. You know, people when they finish their doctor's, doctorals, PhD, call them doctors, they should call me master. (laughs) Master Pastor Chang, that'd be so cool. But no one wants this job. You get a master's degree, and in the, in the United States, with a master's degree, minimum is like 45000 From there, it goes up, right? I don't get that, right? Who wants this job? The benefits, they're not that good. church tells us our benefits are in heaven. Thanks, thanks a lot. What happens when I get sick? It's okay when you die. No, um, church doesn't say that. But the benefits aren't that great, right? It's like one of the least appreciated positions in all the world. Your professors have the power to give you grades, so you suck up to them. You give them stuff, right? You treat them well. You go, you go to them after, you know, after school hours, office hours. Professors get that. But pastors? Pastors? Nothing. Thanks, thanks Pastor Joe. Thanks for the ride. Gone. All right, It's lunchtime. Gone. Pastor Joe, is still here. Right? I'm not complaining. This just a fact of, you know, I think a lot of ministry, ministerial positions. Right? It's probably the, one of the least glorified, right? least honored, definitely one of the least paid, at least in the Asian church. You get paid better in the Caucasian church. But there are a lot of these things. Right? You don't get the honor, that the title, that the effort you put into to getting your degree and licensure. Why do it? So I don't want to be a pastor. Right? I don't want to be a pastor. I want to be, you know, physical therapist. You guys know that by now. Talked about it enough times. Right? I wanted to be in the health sciences, doing, you know, health stuff. My parents wanted, to, wanted me to be a doctor. You typical, right? Nice. I started out pre med, and but I thought it was kind of boring. You ever visit a Korean doctor? You know how many patients they have? They have like 20000 a day. I didn't want that. I wanted some interactions with people, so I switched to physical therapy. Right? You get paid to help people work out. Well, kind of. Help people perhaps to walk again or function normally again. And so that's what I pursued. But as, when I finished college, I had gathered all my recommendations. I took my GREs. I had my applications ready for graduate school, not seminary. And I was ready. I had dreams, right? Um, And yet, little by little, the Lord began to tug at my heart. And that heart I was more than willing to deny because I didn't want it, right? You know, because it's so glorified. I didn't want it. My father being a pastor, I didn't want it. I told my dad, hey, I'm going to make a lot of money, and I'll support your church. I'll help you out. I'll be there. But I don't want to be the pastor. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not a doctor today, am I? I'm a pastor. What happened? Well, for me, it took me a year after college for the Lord to make certain my heart that this was God's will and his desire. And you know what? Even though my plans were to be a doctor, the greatest joy I found when I began doing exactly what God wanted of me, and that is to serve the Lord directly in this calling. See, when we so clingingly, when we desire to hold on to our own desires, What God says is that you do not understand. It is not only about bringing. It's not only about bringing me glory, and it will. But it is also about bringing you happiness. And God says you are going to get the best of it when you live according to my plan and my design as you have been created to do. See, what you thought, was really death, is life. And what you really thought about life is really death. See, my example, real story, I thought that the path to physical therapy was, was true happiness and what I wanted for my life and my future. But what God was telling me, my struggle, was that that would have only led to death and joy would be found in serving him directly. When you think about worship, when Adam and Eve were around, they, you notice that they had no worship services. Right? It wasn't God sitting in a Sunday school classroom, Adam and Eve, now sit down and let me teach you what Jesus is all about. There was no, no such thing. You know, God did not play the guitar or the harp, angels coming in. There was none of that. You ever wonder about that? The beginning and the last things of Scripture speak of no worship services. Look to Genesis, look to Revelations. You will not find examples of worship services. In the Old Testament, though, there was temple worship. And in the New Testament, there came about the synagogues, and they had worship there. These organized worship was encouraged and commanded by God. But what we still see in Scripture is that in the beginning, worship services were not implemented. And when when Scripture speaks about about the end times, God does not speak of worship services. There, in Scripture, is a lack of worship services when there is a lack of the life of living fully in worship, let me say that again, when in life, when God sees the lack of the life of living fully in worship, there is a need for organized worship. Because God knew that we need to gather to be renewed and refreshed. See, in the Garden of Eden... There was no need for worship services, because Adam and Eve were consumed in a fellowship with the Lord. In the end times, when Jesus returns and calls us home, there will not be need, there will not be a need for worship services because we would already be consumed in the Lord. But in the times in between, when there are so many, even in the church, whose hearts are not focused, not centered, whose lives are not living fully in worship. God knew that there was a great need for organized worship and houses of worship. Some of you might think that you don't want to be in a place where there will be worship services all day. If that's what heaven is like, maybe I don't want to be there. Harps and choirs. I really hope uh, I'm not into harps either. Not into choirs either. More of a band guy. So maybe you don't want that. Well, you know what? Praise the Lord because heaven is not just about a long worship service. Yes, son. Hi. I didn't see him in three days. Why? Why is it? Why isn't it going to be a? The thing is, it's not going to be a worship service at all, because everything we do in heaven. Every single thought, every interaction, I don't know what that's going to be like, but all of it will be services of worship unto God. That will be the new heavens and new earth. It's not going to be God saying, you know, it's time to stand up, children. None of that. But every single thing, everything we can possibly think of, every breath will be directed towards the glory of the living God. And so there will not be a need for organized worship services. All that we do will be worship unto God. We'll be living life and everything will be worship. Another example, you know, if you have kidney failure, you got to go in for dialysis two to three times a week. But the goal is to be off of dialysis forever, yes? Or perhaps the goal would be to, to get a kidney transplant. Like so, the goal here, brothers and sisters, is not for us to get to heaven and have more worship services. But the goal of us in the church is to have a heart transplant. To get to heaven and live in a community of worship, of fellowship, that is centered only upon Jesus Christ. And the question is, what is the problem? The problem, it is false worship. It is idolatrous worship. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1-10, our text today, is what, it, what, the, what the text is talking about. See, they were praised for turning from the things that were serving, that they were serving to worship the one true God. And so I ask you, what are some of the idols that you are serving in your lives today? Why is it that you and I live in a time when worship services are absolutely necessary? And the reason for that, it is because of false gods and false idols. Years ago, they used to talk about, about false gods, idols, lowercase g, gods who are handmade. But you and I live in a more sophisticated society. We don't worship wooden idols. Yet, we have other ways, other things that our hearts sought, seek after. So I ask you, what is there in your life? What, is, what, what things are there in your life? When you take it away, Would rob you of your joy. Some of you guys like food. I forget who I was having this conversation with. One of you folks here, right? And I was thinking about this. Basically, the question was if you had to lose one of your senses, what would it be? And I think, I remember. Now, the sister was like, I can't lose my nose. Can't lose my sense of smell because I love food. You guys know if you can't smell, you can't taste, right? And I was thinking, oh, yeah. Yeah, I like food. If I can't taste food, I might not eat at all. Who likes eating for the sake of having three meals a day? You want to savor that. Okay, I don't want to hold my food anymore. But you know what I'm talking about. For those of you that love and cherish music, can you imagine not being able to hear or perhaps not being able to sing? If God were to rob you, or for whatever reason, if God were to take away your most precious thing, would that rob you of your joy? Honestly, I think I think it would. If God took away my, my hearing, I don't know. I don't know if I could live in silence. To not be able to hear my own voice, or to hear, or to hear the voice of my family members, or to hear music. No, no, I think more than being depressed, I think I would be completely broken, robbed of definitely my joy. What is there in your life if taken away from you, you would not be able to go on living? It does not have to be an object. It could be a person or a job. That when this thing is threatened, it makes you the most angry. Or when this thing is threatened, does it make you feel less in control? But when this thing is threatened, it makes you fear. The need for others' approval, need for success, need for control, the need to be right, the need for comfort, the need to feel important. What is the idol that the Holy Spirit is showing you today? Brothers and sisters, every idol, every idol is a cheating substitute for a part of God. So let me ask you another series of questions. Is it God's approval that you are seeking in your lives today? Is it his loving control for your life? Or do you know better than God? Is it his righteousness that you long for? Isn't it, his, isn't it his eternal comfort that you really need? Isn't it really his adoption, your adoption as his sons and daughters, that makes you important? Aren't these the things that you really need and long for more than anything else in your lives? Brothers and sisters, approval is not working, so we work harder to get it. Success isn't working. Because there's always someone more successful than you'll ever be. Control? Well, control, God throws us curveballs all the time. We want to be right. We long for comfort so much that we'll do anything to get it. Well, brothers and sisters, God is calling you to return to Him that you would allow the Word of God to change you. Let me scare you for a little bit. That was the introduction. Mm -hmm. Let's get to the text. Let's get to the text today. What's going on in the city of Thessalonica? What was going on in their community that made them change? What is it that made them turn around from their service of idols to the service of the king. Look with me to verse 3 of today's text. It says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Three things are mentioned here in verse 3. The work of faith, number one. Number two, the labor of love. And number three, the steadfastness of hope. One more time. Number one, the work of faith, the labor of love, the steadfastness of hope, all these things in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at the first one, the work of faith. Verse 5 says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. See, their work was produced from their faith in God. Everything that came about was rooted in their faith for the Lord. So I ask you, is your work, are the choices that you make each day modeled in faith or upon idols? Are you doing something because of your conviction in Christ? Or are you responding to these things because you're longing to be comforted, longing for security? Even today, what were your decisions? What's motivating your decisions? Your parents, your friends, your jobs? When you make decisions based on your idols, brothers and sisters, it will leave you powerless. Rather, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and when we make our decisions based on faith, we are empowered. Let me give you a short example of that. You know, when you choose to, I say, find a job. Right? When that time, when you get to that place in your life, you know, we have a choice, right? We always have a choice. And if this is your home, this church is your home, you might apply for jobs that are closer to home, but still apply to some jobs that are far away. And especially in, when the economy is not doing so well, perhaps you might get a job far away, far away and not close to home. And so your decision is to move. But already in that first, I'm not saying that's a sin, all right? Don't don't, don't take that out of context, guys. All right? But in your decision to move where your job takes you, your job has already become your idol and not the Lord. Well, not idol, but not God. But when you choose to wait upon the Lord until all things begin to make sense, then you are empowered, you're set free not to follow after the things that perhaps sustain your, the food on the table, your habits, the things that you find pleasure in. Part two, second one is this, labor produced by love. Labor produced by love. You know the word labor here in the Greek? It doesn't say work. The actual word is the exact same word used when a woman is giving birth. Now, men, we don't know what that's like, and we will never know what that's like, all right? But I think the Apostle Paul is very intentional in using the kind of labor that is produced out of love. The love that the Apostle Paul is talking about is not like, you know what, I like this girl, I'm going to buy her a ring. Or, I'm going to save up some money, I'm going to give her a necklace, get her flowers. This is not labor of love. Brothers, if you think... Labor, this kind of labor, giving birth, is, is equivalent to saving your money and get, buying flowers. We're fools. Same thing for the sisters. If and when God blesses you to give birth later, remember this message, all right? Serving the Lord, serving God's kingdom, is supposed to be just like that. And some of you are thinking, I'm not ever giving birth. <laughs> and I don't know about serving God anymore. But you know what, this is so important. This is so important. I think Paul's emphasis here is that this kind of work, it is strenuous, it takes everything out of you. But see, like giving birth, when the child is born, the mom is surely still in pain, exhausted. But the joy that overwhelms a mom when that child is born through that strenuous labor That labor is nothing in comparison to the joy that she she finds when she holds her child in her arms. When we look to serving one another in the Lord, no amount of sacrifice, no amount of humility, no amount of going through trials would ever compare to the joy of serving the Lord. Because all of that would be rooted, grounded in the love of Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, they did it in spite of great suffering by love. And it's because of that, because they persevered through the suffering, through the affliction, that they were able to endure And they were able to turn around away from the the worship of idols and build a church community that was transformed into the likeness of Christ. Do you see that kind of joy in the midst of challenges in your life? Now, I'm not talking about the fake stuff that simply puts a smile on your face for a moment. But I'm talking about something that produces joy. And this joy makes you stronger, a greater person for the Lord. The kind of thing that makes your neighbors say, how can you be alright in the midst of all that has happened to you? The thing that makes people around you say, how can you still smile when you should be broken, desperate? That is the kind of joy that these Thessalonians had in Christ Jesus. That is the kind of joy that was restored onto them because they were grounded in a love that is from the Lord. Part 3, the steadfastness of hope. Verse 3 says, endurance inspired by hope in Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. These people in, Thessalo- in Thess- Thessalonica, they were waiting anxiously for Jesus' return. Now the question is, how anxious are you for Jesus' return? Really? How anxious are you for Christ's return? You know, back in '96, I used to pray, "Lord, please don't come back till I get my driver's license." Now that was my goal, junior in high school. That was my goal. Later, it was, "Lord, don't come back until I get married." It was something else, right? You know, Jesus coming back seemed like an interruption to my living life on earth. That's just my sinfulness. How many of you are also guilty of that here today? Are you really anxious for the Lord to return? Or are there things that you desire more before He comes? Do you really long for Christ's return? Or do you have your own agendas? School grades, a good job, appearing so put together. But you know, whatever that might be, if you are set upon the return of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter where you are, in, where you be, where you would be in your lives. Every moment you be, you be saying, "Lord Jesus, come back!" I don't care about my driver's license. I don't care, Lord, if I never get married or get into a good college or never land a good job that I work so hard for. Because, Jesus, you are everything that I long for right now. Because it will be so much better, that kind of longing. And we would say in our lives every single moment, today, right now, Lord, is the best day, the best time to come. Brothers and sisters, that is a kind of reorientation that you and I all need. Amen? We need a transformation that changes the direction of our pursuits. Living for the American dream has consumed you. And I'm telling you that it does not deliver. It will not satisfy your souls. Rather, Scripture says, seek first His kingdom as the pinnacle of what you want most. The truth is that I can only give up my desire for comfort when I have experienced joy in the midst of suffering due to the reality of God's forgiveness and power over sin and the hope of heaven. I can only give up my hope of success when I am more convinced of Jesus, of Christ's return and the life to come than I am about this life here on earth. We need, you and I need, a holy interruption that our desires might be turned away from the improper and temporary things of this world and upon the perfect love, righteousness, and holiness of our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I will will not naturally want the things of God. What did the church of Thessalonica... Man, that's tough. What did the church of Thessalonica have? Well, this text today, it tells us that they had the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had the gospel, and they understood its implications. They were convinced. They were fully convinced of what Christ had done. And because of that, they had expectant hearts of Jesus' return. They look forward to services of worship and not worship services. Do you get that? They were looking forward to services of worship and not worship services. We today, if the church worship service is good, it's pretty consistent, we might look forward to the Sunday worship service. But that's not what the Thessalonikans were looking for. They were looking forward to living every single moment of each day, giving glory to to the Lord. What is it that keeps your hearts restless right now? I'm telling you today, I'm telling you today that somewhere in your heart is an idol. No exception. And the Lord tells you today that He alone is the living water. Jesus, He offers you of Himself His blood and his body. And that you can come to the table. You can choose to drink from your idols and receive the scraps on the floor. Or you can come and eat the food and drink of the drink at the feasting table of God. Message is entitled, Redeeming Worship. Brothers and sisters, if you desire to live a life that is consumed in worship. You must learn to lay all things down where there is a holy reorientation of our hearts, our pursuits, that you and I would be looking for, living for services of worship. Let us pray together. I want to ask you today, brothers and sisters, especially before we sing any songs. What is your desire this afternoon? What is your greatest desire? Is your desire to please God, to honor God, to live all your lives worshiping Him? Or do you Honestly, have other agendas that you want to take care of first. Jesus tells us in Scripture that if you place your hands to the plow and look back, that you are not fit for the kingdom of heaven. God desires all of you, and may that may that be your heart's desire. Brother and sister, let's take a moment just to reflect upon our hearts. And if need be, to surrender some that God might be king for all of your lives.